the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then you, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be you will be richly provided for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So we've heard as, we, as Walter was reading through this passage of Second Peter chapter 1, uh, we've heard him, Peter, write these words of confirm your calling. Confirm your calling. So I think the word calling in our culture can have a lot loaded into it. We, we get certain things that come into our minds when we hear your calling. Uh, I think back to maybe when I was a young adult or some of the young adults in, in the stage they're at right now, maybe even, and they, sometimes they're at home and they're going, I wonder, I wonder what my calling is. You know, I, I, what's God calling me to? And, and sometimes they let that idea of not knowing what God has called them to hinder them from moving forward in any way. I've, seen, I've heard extreme examples of this, of people staying at home and being like, you know, I, I just want to surrender every decision in my life to God. So this morning, I don't, even, I don't even know what cereal I should eat. Until God gives me, like, I don't know what it is, like a feeling, or if it has to be like this divine word of knowledge for them to know what cereal they're supposed to eat. One guy I remember saying, like, yeah, you know, I don't brush my teeth in the mornings until I really know that God wants me to... I'm like, dude, God wants you to brush your teeth. And so does his people. <laughs> so there's this idea of calling of, of where we kind of have this, this I don't know what it is. It's like this, this really grand idea that we have to get this like lightning bolt into our brain about what God wants us to do with our calling. You know, what does God want me to do in, with my life? But when we look at scripture, how does scripture talk about what calling is? 
when we look at, at the New Testament, let's look at a couple of different verses. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 1 through 3, Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, or look at Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul again in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So you see, the way the New Testament writers write about the, what calling is or what our calling is, there's a definite direction they want us to think. There's something specific that they want us to think about. And that's our salvation. In the New Testament, the way that, that the word calling is used when in these passages that I just read, Peter, Paul, Jude, they're referring to the way God calls us to believe in him. Our very salvation. And then in this text today, Peter's saying to confirm that calling, to confirm that Christ has saved you, your life should be evidence of that salvation by the way that you conduct yourselves. By the way that we live, Peter is explaining, okay, so last week we looked at how we're given the gift of faith, verses 1 and 2 talks about how we're given this gift of faith and how we all stand equal at the foot of the cross in Christ doesn't matter what we've done. That doesn't change our position. But when you are saved, when you do have that gift of faith, there is a certain way that you should be conducting yourselves to show that you are indeed saved and that you have been given that gift of faith. So God calls us towards holiness. And he gives us the qualities that produce holiness. And he tells us what reward awaits those who persevere in the faith. So he calls us to fruitful living. This big idea for today's sermon is fruitful living confirms your calling in Christ. Fruitful living confirms your calling in Christ. And there's three points. Number one, the divine calling. Number two, the qualities of fruitfulness. Number three, the reward for perseverance. The divine calling, I'll read verses three and four again. His divine power, and I'll kind of pause as I go through and break it down a little bit as we work through it. So his divine power, so who's his? Right, you might go, oh, it's easy, it's God, right? Yes, God, but specifically when we're thinking Trinitarianly, or we're thinking about God the Father, Son, and Spirit, what, what are we, who is Peter Pointing at. Well, if you look at the previous verses again, verses one and two, he just finished saying, Our God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's he's pointing to God the Son. So Jesus Christ, his divine power, has granted to us, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So through the knowledge of him, again, being himself, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is calling us. Jesus Christ has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of himself. And it is by that knowledge that we have received his promises so that we can partake of the divine nature. Partake of the divine nature. So what does that mean? This doesn't mean, as some other um, religions would say, that you can achieve godhood or you can become God. So this is, this is something that the Mormons teach, that if you, if you believe and you follow and do all the right things now and you have enough good works, you can become your own God. That's not what the scripture teaches. Nor does this teach that we can achieve nirvana the way that uh, Buddhism teaches. Buddhism teaches this, this process of by your good works, how you can, uh, you can change what your next life is going to be, and you can have a better next life than you have now, or if you do bad things, you can have a worse next life than you have now. You might have to come back as a bug, or you might have to come back as some kind of animal. And you kind of go through this repetition until you achieve perfection and get to nirvana, which is this supreme kind of nothingness. But that's also not biblical. What does the Bible mean when Peter writes? What does he mean when he's saying that we can partake of the divine? Well, there is a present aspect and there's a future aspect to this. We do enjoy partaking of that now, but we will enjoy it more fully eventually. So the present aspect is that if you've been saved by Christ, if you've been given that gift of faith that we talked about last week, you are in Christ, you are partaking of the divine because God himself, the Holy Spirit, is indwelling you. He's convicting you of your sin. He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to live for him. He's... he's, He's leading you in ways that you need to seek forgiveness, ways, people that you need to forgive. He's, he's calling you, he's leading you towards these things. So we have the, the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, one verse that talks about this, 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the Holy Spirit is presently indwelling believers Guarding that gift of faith, the knowledge of Christ through the scriptures that Christ himself has given to us. Okay, so this is partaking presently in the divine, as Peter says. But there's also the future aspect. And so the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and seals us for our eternal inheritance, which is eternal life with Christ himself in his new kingdom. New heavens, new earth. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. So we have the present aspect of the divine nature, which is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Then we have the future aspect, which is going to be even greater because we are going to be in a perfect new heavens and new earth with Christ forever. He being our God, us being his people, sinless, perfection, creation, remade new, amazing, an incredible promise. Isn't that something to look forward to? So we are partaking of the divine nature now by him being within us, but also in the future in a more perfect way in that day when Christ returns and makes all things new. And that will last forever. So this is the partaking in the divine nature in part now, but then in completion for eternity And then look at that next phrase, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's saying that we partake in that divine nature now, but we all, there is that future aspect where it will be full. And then having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So that having escaped is, is, Interesting, because it gives this idea of it being continuous, the the having. He doesn't say you have escaped. He says you having escaped. So it's true that you've escaped it, but it's still happening too. So it's this idea of uh, um, a continuous action that is already guaranteed. Like we said before, or like I read before from the Ephesians passage that The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay, so it's guaranteed until we require possession of it. So you see how we we have it, we are having it, and we have escaped it because the Holy Spirit has guaranteed this in us. So you could say that in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So we are saved from the penalty of our sin. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when he has regenerated your heart, when the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, you have been saved from the penalty of your sin. Your sins are taken care of, past, present, future. You are forgiven. You are covered in his righteousness. Christ paid for that, for your sins on the cross, taking the punishment for all of our sins upon himself. So that is us. We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. But then we are being saved from the power of sin. So the Holy Spirit works within us. There is still the power of sin within the world, but as the Holy Spirit works in us, he sanctifies us, he changes us. That's when he convicts you of your sin and you confess that and you repent and then you run back to Jesus, not running away from him, not not pursuing sin, but pursuing Christ. And for those times that you do fall, you turn back and you go to Jesus. So he is freeing us from the power of sin as we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. And then in the end, we will be saved even from the presence of sin. At the end... When Jesus returns, or when he calls us home, you'll be saved from even the very presence of sin. So 
hard to fathom at this point. But this is one of the precious and very great promises that he's given us. So all sin, Satan himself, death, every tear wiped away. Isn't that incredible? So you've been saved from the penalty of sin, you're being saved from the power of sin, and you will be saved from even the presence of sin. See, I think a lot of um, the things that we deal with in our lives, in our, in our hearts, in our minds, when, when we struggle, when we go through times of, of feeling down and depressed or anxiety or frustration, comes from us and, and being in this kind of instant gratification culture, this fast food culture, this, this next day Amazon delivery culture that we're in. We aren't used to having to wait for things. We think we can have it all now. So, so then when we do sin, we're like, God, why, have I, why am I not past this already? Why am I not already in that place where I am freed from the power of sin and where I don't even have to sin anymore? It's because by his Holy Spirit, currently, you're partaking in the divine nature and he is changing you. It's not that he has fully changed you and that when you were saved, whoop, everything's better. That's not the way it works. He is saving you in this way. But you see, we want the kingdom now. We want to be free from sin now. We don't want any of the, the bad things of the, or any of the fruit of sin now. We don't want it now. And that's good. We shouldn't want those things. We, we want to be past it, right? That's a good desire. But listen, when, when you think about these things or when you're going through these hard things in your life, and whether that's a relationship or a workplace thing or something in your neighborhood, maybe it's something within your own house that's happening that, that's a struggle. And you think it would be better for it to just be gone. Rest in God's wisdom. See, God in his divine sovereignty, in his wisdom, he has you going through hard things. He has us go through hard things. And that's because as he works in us, he is changing us, and we are getting to know more of him, more of his grace, more of his nearness. And sometimes these struggles last years. But rest in his wisdom. Rest in his wisdom. We need to submit our wisdom to his, remembering his calling on us. Remember that he has given us this gift of faith. Remembering that he has given us faith in Christ, that he gives us the knowledge of Christ and his promises. And that he has given us the Holy Spirit who is indwelling us and is changing us. So in his wisdom, he also gives us the qualities of fruitfulness. Just changing my mic because it keeps clicking for some reason. Okay, the qualities of fruitfulness, uh, verses five through nine. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So because we are called by him and given all we need to live for him, Peter now exhorts us to actively live out our faith with fruitfulness. Now, like I said before, these things don't add to our standing in Christ, but they give us the assurance of our faith and they show to others around us that we indeed are ones who follow Jesus. And the type of fruitfulness that Peter expresses here and that Paul expresses in other New Testament books is a moral fruitfulness, a fruit of the type, or a fruit of the spirit type of thing. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Many of us hear the word fruitfulness, and instead of thinking of these characteristics, we think of the results of these characteristics. So we think of, of outcomes rather than process. Now, we are results oriented people. We want to see things, right? We want to see what happens. When, so when we think of fruitfulness, we don't think of the characteristics that lead to the fruit. We think of the fruit itself at the end. So when you think of um, the results that we want to see as Christians, as a church, we want to see conversions. We want to see people baptized. We want to see people become members. We want to see all of these different things that we go, yeah, see, look at all these things happening. Everything's good. But what Peter's saying, the fruitfulness is, is actually the character within us that we need to be looking at. And when we're taking care of that character, the outcome will happen by God's grace. Right? If we think about the way Paul preached, he said, right, Paul, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gives the growth. So we need to be looking at the characteristics and the the things that are happening and not thinking about how is God blessing this? Is God blessing the things that we're doing? Is God God giving us the growth that we want to see? And if we're not seeing the growth that we want to see, does that mean that something's wrong? Well, not necessarily. There are some prophets that have come in the past. You look at the life of the prophet Jeremiah and all of the struggles that he went through, and he had very little fruit. You listen to some missionary testimonies of years spent in different places where they don't see any conversions happen and yet they were totally faithful in their in their character in their commitment to their work but God didn't give the growth does that mean they weren't fruitful not according to scripture scripture says the fruit of the spirit like that like I just read in Galatians 5 love joy peace patience kindness Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Or if you look at verse 8 from this passage again, if these qualities are yours, he says, and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. So we need to focus on the characteristics, on the character of ourselves, how we are conducting ourselves, what's going on in our own hearts, in our own minds, not just the material on, on the outside, not just what we're seeing on the outside, but what's going on on the inside. So let's do a quick rundown of what Peter lists here. Virtue. So what's virtue? In general, moral living. Following the Ten Commandments. No idols, no murdering, no lying, honoring your parents. Everything we see in the Ten Commandments essentially are the virtues that he's pointing at. Biblical morality. Then he says knowledge. What's the knowledge? Knowing Jesus and his word. Self-control. Keeping... Holding, keeping yourself in check uh, of your emotions and your reactions, because honestly, let's think about it, when things happen that we don't like and we respond, sometimes we respond in ways that really don't show the fruit of the Spirit. Am I right? Sometimes we respond in ways that really, you know, we walk away and we're embarrassed or we're upset. So we need to be careful of how we are responding. Living by grace. Steadfastness, he says, which is holding firm to the faith through the good times and the bad, holding firm to your faith, standing in Christ, remembering his promises, remembering how he's already worked in your life. Godliness, spiritual disciplines, such as prayer, Bible reading, worship, corporate worship here on Sunday mornings, attending a small group, worshiping with other, other people, holding each other to account for how uh, you're conducting yourself and uh, do you have these qualities of fruitfulness, brotherly affection, us loving each other as Christians, and love, loving God and loving people. These are the qualities that Peter is saying that when we are living out our faith, when we are actively living out our faith, these are the qualities that we should be known for and that we should be exemplary of the church that we should be holding ourselves accountable to and when we do God will take care of the outcomes God will take care of the outcomes and then Peter follows this encouragement with a warning verse 9 he says for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, when we look at this, when he says nearsighted, uh, probably a better translation, a better understanding for us would be to say short-sighted. See, nearsightedness is something we can correct with lenses, right? You put glasses on, oh, nearsightedness is gone. But short-sighted means basically it's, it's your view of life, your view of the future, what is happening, am, am I just focusing on what is right here, immediate, or, am I, or do I have a bigger picture in mind of what God is doing and what he could be doing? I think that's what Peter is pointing us to. Because short-sightedness shows a lack of understanding, immaturity, impulsiveness. The spiritually short-sighted person will often Choose sin instead of waiting on the Lord. And this ultimately leads to trouble. 
This can lead, when we, when we have this type of short-sightedness and we are choosing things based on our own, our own fleshly desires or just reacting, re- reacting to something that somebody has said in a moment without considering how we need to be acting, how we need to be reacting, this can lead to all sorts of things and following all sorts of winds of change that come blowing through the church, all sorts of false teaching that can come our way. And we'll be looking at false teaching in a couple of weeks. Second Peter 2 deals with that intensely. But for the Christian, for the one whom Christ has called, he or she desires to pursue these virtues, these qualities of fruitfulness, and desires to avoid sin, not pursue it. Charles Spurgeon, uh, in one of his devotionals just this week, morning and evening from October 11th, says this, if you are living in sin, you are not called. If you are truly Christ, you will say, nothing pains me as much as sin. I desire to be rid of it. Lord, help me to be holy. You see, there's a difference between there's, there's sins that we can commit um, when we react to something and we immediately are convicted of it, or you're convicted of it over a couple of days, or God reminds you of something you said, and it's just like, oh my goodness, I need to repent of that. I need to go seek forgiveness. I need to turn from that. And then there's pursuing sin, which is like, I know that that's a sin, but I want it anyway, and I'm going for it no matter what anybody says even God himself. See, when we're living that way, when we're living in that kind of sin, when we're desiring it, when we're not saying, I wish to be rid of sin. Lord, help me to be holy. When, when we're saying, no, Lord, don't help me to be holy. I'm just going to pretend I'm holy and I'm going to pursue sin. That's evidence that you aren't called Sin, we need to be desiring to be rid of it. We need to be pursuing holiness. We need to be living by the Spirit, partaking of that divine nature as he changes us, as he sanctifies us, as he moves us towards that last day when either we die or Jesus returns. That's the heart of the Christian. To leave sin behind and to pursue holiness. And in those times when you do fall, that you run back to Christ, repenting, saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me, help me to pursue holiness. That's persevering in the faith. Repentance and faith. The daily walk of belief in the Lord Jesus and wanting to live for him. And then he shows us the reward for that perseverance. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Confirm your calling and election, he says. 
So this calling as a Christian is far more than just a fleeting feeling or a quiver in your liver. This calling that he gives us is something that is deep and that is effective. When he calls us this way, the Holy Spirit comes to us and he changes us. And so he, as he changes us, he moves us and he changes us and he opens our eyes to the deep truths of scripture. Understanding scripture more and more. When you go to scripture, some of you might remember a time when you would go to scripture and it didn't make any sense and then all of a sudden there was a change in your heart and your mind. You, you wanted to follow Jesus and now you go to the Bible and it all makes sense. The Holy Spirit works through his word. He speaks to us through his word and He changes the hearts and the understanding and the minds of those who he has changed to understand his word. And he teaches us things like, helps us to understand the nature of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God. Things like the dual nature of Christ, where he's no created being, yet he is indeed fully God and fully man. where he teaches us the nature of the true forgiveness of our sins through Christ. That Christ's death on the cross fully paid the debt for your sin. And that when we have faith in him, that we do, we have received that forgiveness. So this call of God on our lives changes our hearts to love God and to love the things that he loves, to love holiness, to love the scriptures, to love the church, and gives us a desire to reach the lost. By pursuing fruitfulness, as Peter describes in this passage, he says we are to confirm our calling and election. And when the desires of our hearts push towards fruitfulness, For Jesus and his kingdom, we are living out the identity that he's given us as adopted children. Adopted children of God, co-heirs of the kingdom. However, when the desires of our hearts push towards selfish living, we're living out of our identity rather as sons of Adam, not as sons of God. Or you might want to think about about it like this. in terms of calling and then living out your calling. Uh, You can maybe think about being uh, drafted to a professional sports team, okay? So on draft day, that player gets called. I remember uh, one example of this, you think back to, I think it was 1998, Vancouver Grizzlies were our NBA team here in Vancouver. They drafted a guy by the name of Steve Francis. So they called Steve Francis. Steve Francis went up. He was a grizzly now. 100%. He was a grizzly. He was up there holding the hat, smiling for the cameras and everything. But he didn't want to be a grizzly. And he absolutely moved away from that. And he said, I'm not going to play for you guys. So even though he was called, he never lived out that calling. So Steve Francis, he had to pull on a jersey when it was game time, but instead he denied that calling and he demanded a trade. So, so if we think about this in terms of our faith, when, when you are called, when you are called, you go up front and you smile and you're with Jesus and you are smiling with that jersey, yes, I'm called. 
But to confirm that calling, you got to live for him. To confirm that calling, you got to pull on that jersey and get out on the court. So are you going to live out the identity that you have in Christ? Are you going to go forward in the calling that he has given you and live for him and serve him? Or are you going to pretend? We need to live out the identity that he's given us. We need to live out that calling. And if you're finding yourself running away from him, come back. If you remember, if you look back on your testimony and you know that God is working in you and right now you find yourself kind of running away, repent, come back. That's always the call of the Christian is to come back. Jesus is saying, come back. I've given you this identity. I've given you this calling. I've given you this faith, no matter how small it is right now. Turn, come back. It's game time. He's got stuff for us to do. And that doesn't matter wherever you are, whether, whether you're a young adult and you aren't sure where God wants you to go in terms of education or vocation, what, whatever, you, you're sitting at home some days and you're like, what's God calling me to? And then you turn on the Xbox. Or you're, you're sitting there and you're going, what's God calling me to? Like that guy who didn't know if he should brush his teeth or not, right? Don't, don't be that. Move forward in the position wherever God has you. Do something for him. Live out your faith. Work on these qualities that Peter has listed in here. Work on the fruit of the spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. And live for him. Step out with courage. Stand for Christ. Maybe, it's, maybe you're at a different place of life. Maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, or maybe you're the, an executive in some company, or maybe you work as a janitor somewhere, and you're looking at this, go, really, is this my calling? Well, this might be the vocation you have, but the calling you have is the salvation that Christ has given you and to live out that salvation no matter where you are. The one who does that and perseveres to the end gains a prize way bigger, way bigger than any million-dollar contract that some athlete could get or way bigger than any trophy or championship. The prize? God's eternal kingdom. I think that's worth playing for. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace on us and that we can come together here and worship you and study your word and see that, Lord, you have given us this incredible gift. By your spirit, you have indwelt us, you have changed our hearts, and now you lead us to live for you. So, Lord, I pray that for for those of us who, who know you, who have been saved, Lord, that you would spur us on to the good works that you have set before us. Lord, help us to leave behind complacency. Help us to leave behind um, uh, uh, indecision. Help us to just move forward no matter what vocation you have us in or if we might be, maybe you have us pursuing some type of education and that's great, Lord. Lead us in that. Help us to make decisions as we live for you. But Lord, also help us to remember that the fruitfulness that you call us to, you've shown us in your word. It's these qualities here. 
It's not necessarily the job that we have. But Lord, it's these qualities that you give us as you change us and as you sanctify us. So Holy Spirit, give us the understanding that we need to live out our faith in you. Give us the courage and the perseverance. And Lord, may our eyes always be set on the long game. On the end that you are going to come back and you are going to make a new heavens and a new earth and you are going to welcome us into your eternal kingdom. Lord, thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.